0: If you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the Gospel of Mark. Let's go to chapter 11, and then we're going to go over to chapter 15. We want to speak about Jesus, our King, as crucified. And that's what takes place during the week of Holy Week, during the week called Passion Week. But it starts here on Sunday morning, which we call traditionally the Triumphal Entry. I want you to get a picture before we read it. When you go to Israel, the bus takes you up as we're touring, and finally we're in Jerusalem, and the bus takes us up uh, to the the top of the Mount of Olives. And there at the Mount of Olives, you've already passed this area called Bethphage, small city, it's not even there anymore, they'll tell you where it's at. And then you pass this other city, and uh, this is where, Mary, and this is where Martha and her brother, their brother, that is, and this is where he lived, Bethany. And so the importance, but then when we get off the bus, we go down the Mount of Olives and then we come up and then originally, eventually that is, we will get to Jerusalem and we go to the temple and such of the remains and, and we get to see everything But for me, my wife and I and others that go, as you're descending, you begin to think of the triumphal entry. And then you never ascend or descend to Jerusalem. You always ascend up to Jerusalem. It sits on a hill. And it's a beautiful picture. And yet, there's so much commercialism today. And so we like the sites we don't go into the various churches we go into the various sites cuz there there's two churches that say Jesus was born here no no Jesus was born there so we don't even bother with them and it's important for me to be in the land and even when we go to the uh, the tomb it's there it's called gordon's tomb the brits run it the brits own it and you see this beautiful tomb that they tell us that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. And yet, it, it very well could be. But you have to remember, uh, you know, 2,000 years have passed. And the the garden tomb area is beautiful. It's immaculate. It's very serene there. And yes, you you sense the presence of God. And you have other believers there, and there's sections because there's always a lot of people there. And so we have our section, we have our bleachers, and and then we get to share. And then we have communion service, and and what a beautiful place to have communion service. What a beautiful place to break bread. I wish we could take all of you, but I'm going to be honest with you. The day's going to come when we get to be part of the millennium. We will go to Jerusalem. We will take you there. God is going to show us himself, and we will get to see it. Remember, this is the city of David. Very important here. And so this first portion of the week, they're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. And then it switches. Crucify him. Crucify him. And then they cry out because you released the prisoner at this time. Give us Barabbas. But crucified Jesus. And they put him between uh, two thieves on the hill called Golgotha. He knew no sin. He was not an insurrectionist. He was not a robber. He was not a thief. Not a murderer. And yet they release one for Jesus. It should have been Jesus to be released. But he dies on the cross. Listen, for you, for me, for all mankind. And so get a hold of Passion Week. It starts here with a triumphal entry. Look at Mark chapter 11. And verses 1 through 11. Now, when they drew near Jerusalem, Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples. We don't know what two disciples he sent. Generally, the spokesmen and the guys that were uh, taking the lead were generally Peter and John. But it doesn't tell us here. And so the Bible is silent. But two disciples, followers of Christ, went. But I want you to think now, Jesus is getting ready to be hailed as king. When you go before this, in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He passes through Jericho, and he comes to this man that's crying out, Hosanna, son of David, heal me. He's a blind man. Jesus stops to do a miracle with this man. Your faith, he says. Has made you whole. Your faith has made you well. And yet he continues. He knows he's going to be heralded. And then he knows he's going to be mocked. And crucified. In verse 2 it says. And he said to them. Go into the village opposite you. And as soon as you have entered it. You will find a colt tied. This is a donkey's colt. On which no one has sat on. Never been broken. Loosen him and bring him to me. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Uh, say to them that the Lord has need of it. And immediately he will send it here. And so they went their way. They found the colt tied to the door outside the street. And they loosened it. Just as Jesus had said. And I like what they're doing here. They are obeying Christ. But then notice the owners here. But some of those who stood there uh, said to them, what are you doing loosening this coat? They knew it wasn't theirs. Were they looking at them thinking they were thieves? They're stealing it. But Jesus had commanded this. And we see that in the next verse. In verse 6, and they spoke to them. This is the two disciples just as Jesus had commanded. And so they let them go. What's going on here? I mean, the guy's obviously stealing a colt, something precious. That was their vehicle of the time. And yet they let them do it. The Holy Spirit has gone before them. Did they say Jesus of Nazareth needs has need of it? They said, our Lord. They said, our master in other passages. And so they let it be because Christ had already commanded this. In verse 6, and they spoke to them. But yet, it was already done. In verse 7 and 8, Then they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothing on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees, and they spread them on the road. John chapter 12 tells us that they took palm branches. All the gospel passages that cover this tell us that some of them took off their coats, their outer garments, and they laid them. And then Jesus enters sitting on a colt. Now, it's very important because they're honoring him him at this time as king. A king would come into Jerusalem, and he would always ride an animal. And so the king, when he was on a a donkey's colt, or a donkey, it represented peace. But when the king would ride in on horseback, it represented a time of war. Jesus, obviously, came in peace. Now you have to understand something. In Jerusalem at this time, they're going to the feast day of Passover. Very important feast day. There were three major feast days. You had to be, if you were a male 20 years and up, you had to go to Jerusalem for Passover and then for Pentecost and then for tabernacles. Those three were essentials. Now, Josephus, the historical writing of the Jews, writes in his memoirs and historical books that at this time, now listen to this. It was nothing for there to be 2 million people in Jerusalem. The Jews would come from everywhere. We're going to see Simon that was from the coast of Africa, Simon of Cyrene. And so all these with Jewish backgrounds would come for Passover. Passover was very important. You had to attend. Uh, You had to pay the temple tax and such. And how many were on this road? It's a good-sized, long, gated road. And yet the palm branches. And that's what's celebrated in a lot of churches today. Palm Sunday and palms are given away. Very traditional. We celebrate the triumphal entry of Jesus Christ. If you're taking notes, I want you to write Zechariah 9-9. In Zechariah 99, 500 years B.C., before Christ, Zechariah pins that the triumphal entry uh, would take place, and yet there are those that disagree; those that could care less. And so we're seeing prophecy proclaimed right here in these verses. And this is why it was customary uh, to throw the palm branches. Was customary. To take off the coats. Put your clothing, if you had it, if you were available to do it, to put it on the colt. Imagine your king riding on top of your, uh, your tunic and such. It would be an honor. But I want you to see how quick it's going to change. But first of all, these people cried out. Look at verse 9. And then those who went before and and those who followed uh, listened to the cry. It's a messianic cry. And they were saying, Hosanna. In other passages and other gospels, Hosanna, Hosanna. A son of David saved now. But here it says, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. When this cry went forth. The word Hosanna means "save now" is a cry of the Jewish culture, a cry of the Jewish law. But it's interesting to me, if you studied with us the Gospel of John, what the people in, in Israel were looking for is a deliverer. They were looking for an answer. They were looking for a type of Moses, but they were looking for a man. That would be politically strong. And quench the oppression of Rome. And only few were waiting for the Messiah that would come. And die for the sins of mankind. Jesus did not come to conquer politics. He came to conquer religion. And he brought forth a relationship. Through his death. And so the beauty here. Hosanna, Hosanna. A son of David, saved now in other gospel passages. And many thought, and that's why a lot of people go to church. They want God to take care of their problem. And many times he does. People that come to church and they're rebounding from a divorce. People that come to church because mom died or dad died. People that come to church because, you know, my my daughter, my son, they went to the military and now they're going overseas. And there's a lot of reasons, but we need to come to serve the Lord. We need to come and and, and to cry out to him. That's what Holy Week is about. That's what Passion Week is about. But it doesn't stop there. It's 24-7. It's throughout the year. And I had to come to grips with that years ago, and so did you. Notice verse 11 now. As we come to the conclusion. And Jesus went into Jerusalem. And into the temple. And so when he had looked around at all the things. As the hour was already late. He went out to Bethany. And he waits there at Bethany. He waits for the time that he would go uh, to the cross. The prophecy in the Messianic psalm. Psalm 118, verses 22 to 23, is so powerful. So powerful. The Jews knew this. We're going to also quote from Psalm 22, another messianic psalm, and yet people couldn't see it. Then we quote from Isaiah 53, the suffering Savior. And so many couldn't see it. And so many times the Bible's right in front of us and it speaks uh, of the oracles of God. But unless the Spirit of God is, is in you, unless the Spirit of God is teaching you, it goes void. And that's why Isaiah, my word, shall not go back void. If you know the Lord, He's going to speak to you. He's going to minister to you. And so now the triumphal entry was just short term. And so now we want to cover which we call Passion Week. And so flip ahead and go to Mark chapter 15. And we see Jesus here. And he's going to be standing before Pilate, the governor of Judea. But you have to understand something. Mark is probably the most concise of the four Gospels. But all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, they carry the scriptures pertaining to the crucifixion of Christ. Mark probably gives us the least, but yet it's concise, it's perfect, it's to the point. Back in the 1990s, I had the opportunity uh, to go to Russia with one of our missionary friends, Tony. And so the preparation went on for about a year, just kind of getting ready and getting the funds together. And when we got there, I went prepared. I knew that we were going to run into a group of uh, people that didn't understand the Western culture, yet now a lot has changed since. There's even Calvary chapels there. And the Gospels there, obviously. But it was very limited. Now the door had opened, and they were letting in the Westerners. And honestly, we didn't have a problem. The biggest problem was communication. The biggest problem was the language. We didn't understand them. They didn't understand us. And so I got a hold of the 700 Club. And they sent me the Gospel of Mark, concise. It was about 92 minutes. And it covered the whole Gospel. And it was all done in Russian. And then we got a whole of Maranatha praise music back in the day. And it was all translated into Russian. And then I, the people said, what can we do here at our church? You guys are going. I said, we need Walkman. Some of you don't even know what a Walkman is anymore. Some of you don't even know what a cassette is anymore. Man, time changes so quick. Uh, We used to have a bird in his beak. You don't (laughs) know. I'm just jiving with you. But times change quickly. And so I had these nuggets, man, with me. And the Walkmans and the batteries. And I still remember this sweet, sweet lady that we, we actually stayed at her home. Her family's home. They took us in for three days. And uh, we got to share as much as possible. One of the sons knew a little bit of English, but we were very limited. But we had the gospel of Mark in Russian. We had the Russian praise. And we had the headsets and these cassettes. And I want you to picture this 70, 80-year-old woman at the time. I I put the headsets on her. I pressed the button. It was Russian praise. Her eyes lit up like a Christmas tree. And her children were trying to take it away. In other words, grandma, let me hear. What are you hearing? Because she's saying something. And it's obviously good words. And then she hears the praises. And I learned this one word in Russia. They went to get it from her head. And she goes, nyet. In any language, I mean, get your hands off, brother. (laughs) Russian praise. Tony and I were singing the praises in English, yet it was in Russian. And it touches the heart. Some of these people we gave them to, they heard the gospel for the first time. The first time. How can that happen? in our great world today. Now, with the internet, the gospel's getting out there. And so the Word of God is important. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark is probably very concise, but it's still the Word of God. And so look at Mark chapter 15. we, We have a lot to cover here. And we're talking about what takes place after the triumphal entry. And now... Holy Week or Passion Week. In verse 1, immediately in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. This is the Sanhedrin. And the decision was made to go get Jesus. And they bound him. They led him away. And they delivered him to the praetorium. We know that that's Pilate's house. We'll see that later. But in other passages, we're told that anywhere between, listen to this, 150 to 200 men possibly went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pick up one man. What did they fear? In another gospel, Jesus says, whom do you seek? And they fell backwards because of the power of God. But I want you to see what's taking place here. So beautiful. Pilate asked him. These are direct words to Christ. Are you the king of the Jews? He answered. And he said to him. It is as you say. These are the last words of Christ. It is as you say. Pilate now. The governor of Judea. He's basically a political pond. He tries to appease everybody. He wants to make everybody happy. In verse 3 it goes on and the chief priest accused him of many things but he answered nothing. And so they were accustomed when people were brought into the judgment place, the praetorium here. It would have been uh, outside or in the same area uh, basically of Pilate's home. He had a place where he consulted, He had a place where he judged because he was the governor of Judea. And so... There had to have been those that would be brought to trial, in a sense. And they would argue. They would set their point. They would say, no, 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 that's not the way it is. And they'd possibly bring in their own witnesses. Jesus said nothing. Because that's what is written in Isaiah. And I'm going to read that to you right now. Then Pilate asked him again, verse 4, and he said to him, do you answer nothing? See how? Many things they testify against you. And the testification was lies. Lies upon lies upon lies. But Jesus still answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. Who is this man? Mark this verse down. Isaiah 53 verse 7. It says he was oppressed. He was afflicted. Speaking of Christ. Yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And listen to this, as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. See, Jesus already spoke in verse 2. He says, it is as you say. He said, no more after that. He wants Jesus to defend himself. He's not, because he had to go to the cross. Go back to the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was praying. And he prayed three times, Father, take this cup of death away. But if not, let not my will be done, but your will be done. Jesus went to the cross. And this is what baffles the mind every year I go through these passages. He went to the cross for me. He went to the cross for you to give you life, life eternal. What do we have on this earth? 60, 70, 80, 90 years, sooner or later we're going to succumb. But it's eternal life that we should be concerned of. No, I'm not telling you don't go to the gym and don't eat right. That's not what I'm saying. Take care of the soul also. Notice verse 6. Now, at the feast, this is Passover, he was accustomed, uh, this is Pilate, to releasing uh, one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. These were the issues or part of the law, the time of Passover, Pentecost, and also tabernacles. Now watch what it says about Barabbas, because that's who they're going to want. And and there was one named Barabbas who was chained uh, with his fellow rebels. And notice his testimony. He's a thief. That's what they have him this time. But they had committed murder in the rebellion historically around 30 A.D., we're told that there was a revolt that actually started with Simon Bar, Kochba. And so this is, is this the situation? They believe so. But they know that he had committed murder in the rebellion. Mark knew this. And yet this is the guy. Listen, they want to release. Amazing now. In verse 8, then the multitude, and again Josephus is telling us there's a great multitude they're crying aloud. They began to ask him to do just as he had always done for them. Uh, releasing a prisoner at the feast of Passover. Uh, Josephus says, during the and see feast days were seven days. Not like our feast day once, uh, once, once out of the week or once out of the month. Whatever it might be, Jesus would go to Passover like all the other Jews, for a week. A week. Josephus said in his historical writings it could be easily uh, 2 to 2.5 million people unheard of. There's more today. And they would all come for Passover. Josephus also writes in the historical writings, at this time, 240,000 lambs would be slaughtered. During the time of Passover. Unheard of. And yet Jesus, when he comes in to begin his ministry, to be baptized by John in the Jordan, John says, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. Have mercy on us. Jesus is the complete Lamb. No more sacrifices are needed. Jesus is the complete high priest. No more high priests is needed. All of this is in the book of Hebrews. But notice that the cry was relentless. But Pilate answered them in saying, Do you want me to release you, the king of the Jews? Pilate wanted to get Jesus out of his, out of his midst. He wanted to wash his hands of Jesus. Pilate tried. But the pressures of Rome, listen, the pressures from the Sanhedrin, the pressures of the Jews, they didn't want it. They wanted Christ dead. Interesting. In another gospel, remember? Pilate's wife, her name was Claudia. She comes to Pilate. Listen, this man is a just man. I dreamt about him. Let him go. And I believe he tried, but his hands were tied. His hands were tied. Look at verse 10 now. For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. Pilate knew the hearts of these guys. They were evil. But Pilate was caught, listen, in a political vice. He wanted to please the the Jews. He wanted to please Rome. That's his job. And guys, you know this. He wants to please his wife. Let this just man go. When you study the life of Pilate, traditionally, okay, they say that it just wouldn't let him go after he consented to Jesus' death, that he went a little bit deranged, that he committed suicide. I don't know. I hope and pray that he would repent because traditionally we're told also that Claudia, his wife, was a believer, and you know she had to share Christ with him. Honey, listen. You tried. Didn't work. You need to receive Christ. You need to receive Christ. And so many of us put it off. And so be careful when we're trying to be men pleasers. In verse 11 it says, But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. What did they want? They cried out back in verse 8. And they're crying out more. It's not the cries of Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David. It's the cries and we're going to see of crucifixion. And in verse 12, Pilate answered and said to them, Again, what then do you want? What do you want me to do with him who you call? Listen to the slap in the face to them. The king of the Jews. They didn't like that. Because the inscriptions are going to be put over Jesus' head. Uh, on the cross. And it says Jesus of Nazareth. We'll get to that in just a minute. But listen to the cry, a far cry from the triumphal entry. Hosanna, Hosanna, son of David, saved now. In verse 13 now, uh, they cried out again, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. We read that in other contexts. I've often thought of the heart of man. Because I'm included just like you. Look at the chances. That God has given us through the years. God is the God of second chances. Third chances. Four chances. How many chances do you need? God's there. Just don't make it a habit. Because he knows that too. And we just turn him into a confessional. You need to repent. True repentance, change of mind, change of heart, and change of direction. You're going one way, you got to turn around and go the other way. Crucify him. Crucify him. I want you to mark this verse down. I've loved it for years. Psalm 8, verse 4. Simple psalm. The psalmist says, what is man that you're mindful of him? What is man that you're mindful of him? And that quote is followed into Hebrews chapter 2, verse 6. Who is puny man? That's the Hebrew, what it says. That you're mindful of him. Think about this. Lord, who am I? Put yourself in the same position. Who am I that you care about me? Who am I that you love me? Who am I that you would die for me? Come on. I wouldn't die for anybody. You wouldn't die for anybody. It's just our human nature. Imagine somebody ask you to give up your son, to give up your daughter. What's our first reaction? You're crazy. The father gave up his son to die on the cross for you, for me. That's why the psalmist says, who is man that you're mindful of him? In verse 14 and 15, then Pilate said to, to them, why was he? What evil has he done? Again, Pilate's trying to wash his hands of it. But they cried out, all the more, crucify him. You see, the people had spoken. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, to appease the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Again, Pilate's going through this political tug of war. He's desiring to please uh, the people of Rome. He's desiring to please the Jews, the religious Jews. And then he's trying to appease and, and, and to comfort his wife through this. He's being torn in half. But he's got his job. He goes against Rome. And then Rome is going to go against him. He goes against the Jewish rulers and leaders. Then they're going to go to Rome, go over his head. He could still lose his job. And so he thought the easiest one not to appease will be the wife. But yet Pilate was used to give Jesus up to death. I want you to see that they scourged him. We don't see it here in Mark, but the other Gospels tell us he was flogged They would give 40 stripes, save one. It was called mercy. Jesus received 39 stripes. Uh, They would strip the man. And he would be naked. And they would stretch his arms out, put him on a small little platform where he had to stand up. Everything stretched out. And they would whip him, flog him with a cat-of-nine-tails. And those cat-of-nine-tails, they went out, they had metal, they had glass, they had stone. And as they whipped it tore. And as they whipped, they did both sides. And it would start up to the back all the way down to the legs. Open them up. Chunks of meat. Blood. And each ounce of that blood said, I love you and I'm dying for you. Historically, this was the punishment of the, of the Romans. And most people died at the scourging. Most people never made it to the cross. Yet Jesus went all the way. And again it baffles the mind. He went all the way for you and for me. To give us life. Life eternal. And now we go to the cross. Look at the the soldiers. Then verse 16. And the soldiers led him away. Into the the hall called the praetorium. This is uh, Pilate's home. And they called out together. The whole garrison. And so. Pilate's home was his home. It was his palace. But there would be that place where he would judge and where he would commit to that judgment. It was there where he heard the courts of law, basically. And everything they did to Jesus in this court of law, this Jewish court of law, was bogus. They broke the laws constantly. All because they wanted to kill Jesus. Notice verse 17. And they clothed him with purple. This is mockery. And they twisted a crown of thorns, the Palestinian thorns, another mockery. They placed it on his head. The crown speaking of his kingship. The purple speaking of his royalty. This was a borrowed cloak from a Roman soldier. And when another gospel says when they were ready to put him on the cross, they pulled it off. And now the blood had coagulated. And imagine it all coming off. We've all had, you know, a scab or something uh, forming. Then we take it and we take it off too early. Here comes the blood again. Imagine Christ. Imagine Christ. All this for you. All this for me. In verse 18, and he began to salute him in mockery, the soldiers, because of the purple and such. Hail, king of the Jews, all in mockery. And then they struck him on the head with a reed and they spat on him. And bowing down to the knee in mockery, they worshipped him. They were hitting him. They were spitting on him. They were mocking him. Other gospel passages tell us that they took a bag and put it over his head and they punched him. If you be the son of God, tell us who hit you. In another gospel passage, it says they got his beard and they ripped it off. All of this Jesus did in this Passion Week uh, for us. The mockery. But I want you to keep this in mind. It doesn't go from the heart of one of the centurions. We'll see that at the end. In verse 20, and when they had mocked him, uh, they took the purple robe uh, off him. And put his clothes on him. And then they led him uh, to be crucified. They led him to the hill of Golgotha. The hill called Calvary. The place where they crucified him. Between uh, two male factors. And so Mark chapter 15. Look at verse 21. I love the caption here. The king on a cross. Then they compelled a certain man. His name is Simon a Cyrenian. The father of Alexander and Rufus. As he was coming out of the country. And passing by. And the purpose they gathered him. To bear Jesus' cross. Simon a Cyrene is an interesting character. Because it's Passover. Jews are coming from everywhere. I believe he was a. Uh, A worshiping uh, Jew in Judaism, he was a worshiping man, and so it was important for him uh, to be in Jerusalem in the time of Passover. And there he was on this road that Christ took, leading up to Golgotha, the hill of the skull. And I'm thinking Simon has to be a big black man, strong, and you have to understand the cross at this time. Basically, there was a pole. And there was a, a cross beam on top. And generally the cross beam is what the prisoner carried. And they usually tied your hands to it. But Im- imagine your blood's being spent. You're tired, obviously. You're thirsty. You're parched. And now this cross is overwhelming you. And it's just the T portion. And so they look at Simon. They go, you, come here. He couldn't say no. He's under the jurisdiction of Rome. they placed it on him. And I want you to see this. The blood of Christ is on this cross beam. The blood of Christ is saturated. The blood of Christ is dripping. And it's dripping on this man, Simon of Cyrene. I believe we're going to see Simon in heaven. I believe that he was moved to the cross. This man literally carried the cross. (laughs) They tell us that the cross beams weighed 50, 75, 100 pounds maybe. Let's take it that it weighed 50 pounds. You carry it that long. And the whole cross could weigh uh, 250 to 300 pounds. Jesus did this for me, did this for you. Notice now. Oh, let me give you this portion here in the book of Romans in chapter 16 in, in verse 13. There's a man spoken there called Rufus. And it says, greet Rufus. Could it be that these were Simon's sons? It's Simon's sons here. But in Romans, did they come to know the Lord later? Scholars like that. He was from the, Cyrene was about 800 plus miles, the north coast of Africa. Yet he came. He came. Did he know that he was going to carry uh, the portion of the cross for Jesus? In verse 22, and they brought him uh, to the place called Golgotha, which is translated the place of the skull. Golgotha is the hill of the skull. It is also called Calvary. And when we go to Israel, we get to see that uh, beautiful little hill. Now, the irony is today, there's been a, a, a lot of erosion through the years. But back in the early 20s, uh, they took pictures. And they have good black and white pictures and they're right there. I, I'm sure they have others in the archives and such. And you go up and you look at the picture first. And then you look upon the hill of Golgotha. And you will see the form of the skull. You see the two eyes, the socket, you can see the nose, you can see the mouth. You can see a skull. And I tell you this, if you don't if you're there and you don't see the skull, then I have to question your salvation. <laughs> That's me. I used to do that at work all the time. Hey, what do you see here? Remember those sticks? You see the name of Jesus? They- all my heathen friends at work—they couldn't see it. I go. It says Jesus. You don't see that? And they let me see it again. <laughs> Come to the cross. I used to tell them, "Come to the cross." Look at verse twenty-three now. Then they gave him wine, listen, mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. It was a form of a sedative that they would give uh, to the prisoners because of uh, of the death. Because of the carnage. Because of the suffering. It was one of the cruelest deaths. And that was crucifixion. But Jesus refused it. He did not take it. And then when they crucified him, they divided his garments. And again, here's prophecy. Casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. They cast lots for all his garments. We see the prophecy in Psalm 22. Verse 18, it's a Messianic psalm, it's a Messianic cry, and yet, casting lots for the King of kings, the Lord of lords, for the Alpha, the Omega, for his pieces of clothing, and yet go back to his birth, he was wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger, this is the God that we serve. He came meek and mild to die on the cross. In his second advent, he will come to rule with an iron fist. Now, verse 25, it was the third hour. Now, I'm going to give it to you here. There's some discrepancy here because John says one hour and Mark says another hour. Let's go to it and see. Now, it was the third hour and they crucified him. That would have been nine o'clock in the morning. Mark has 9 o'clock. John 19.14 has the 6th hour, which would be 12 noon. What's the problem here? Could it be John and Mark were differences of time? Maybe one Jewish time, the other one Greek time, Roman time. I don't know the answer. Is this a copyist there? That's the easiest to say. But when you go to the other Gospels, They all say, 12 noon. So I'm going to just leave it there. So do I throw everything out? Because there's the discrepancy here? And people just love that. They just say, I told you, there's an air. That's not what's keeping you from the cross. It's your pride. It's your arrogancy. It's your sin nature. I know because I ran from God for three years. Notice, there was placed an inscription. We see it in the other Gospels. They took a plaque, basically, most likely out of wood, and they put this inscription. Accusing was written above there. We read in John chapter 19, verse 19, this is what it says. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. The Jews did not like it. In verse 20 of John 19, it says it was written in three languages. It was written in Aramaic, Greek, and Latin. There was no doubt that those were the languages spoken at the time. And the Jews would have understood Aramaic. Notice that this frustrates them so much. Imagine you're angry, you're frustrated, you're upset, and you see it in your own tongue. Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews, and you don't want to move from there. In verse 27, with him, they also crucified uh, two robbers or two malefactors, one on his right, one on his left side. Now, Jesus was guilty of no crime. But these two guys, it says here, they were thieves. They were robbers. Maybe they were murderers too, just like Barabbas. Jesus is in the midst of them. And so the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. That's Isaiah 53, verse 12. Yet Jesus was not a transgressor, but yet he was in the midst of transgressors. He knew no sin. Verse 29, and those who passed by, they blasphemed him. Against Jesus. Look at wagging their heads. And back and forth. And saying aha. You who destroy the temple. And you say you're going to build it in three days. Mark these verses down. We don't see it here. In Mark 14. 58. John 2. Verse 19. Jesus. Those two times. Was there. In Jerusalem. And he sees the temple. You have to understand something. The temple. Herod's temple was everything. It was ornate, made out of gold. I mean, gold was in there, obviously. You had the stones and such. The best cutting stones came from the quarries. The gold, everything. And they worshiped the temple. We've all been to cathedrals. We've all been to some very nice churches. And, you know, stained glass window and such. And you go, wow, we're in church. Listen, You're in church in your backyard if you look up and worship God. Come on. You're in your vehicle driving around and and you're always having trouble for the vehicle to keep running. You can worship God. Well, the car's broken. Just a thought. (laughs) But notice now they were angry. (laughs) They recall, destroy this temple. I will raise it in three days. Jesus was speaking of his temple. He's speaking about his body. Interesting, Paul brings this up. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 6, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember the days we went to church and we would go, ooh and ah, the church. During Easter week at the decorations at our church back home. And all the Saints would be covered in purple. And just the ambience of it all and the incense and and such. But how do we live outside? How do we live outside of the walls of the building? There's beautiful churches. There's great churches. The thing that's baffling many right now, beautiful cathedrals and churches in Europe Especially in England. And nobody's going to church anymore. And they're being transformed into mosques. God forbid, but that's what's happening uh, in the last days. Destroy this temple, Jesus said, and in three days I will raise it up. He spoke about his body. Yet in 70 AD, Titus and the Roman army would come and level Jerusalem and the temple included. And the gold would seep through the cracks when the fire broke out and they tore down the massive stones. Listen to verse 30. Again, they're mocking Jesus. Uh, Save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking uh, among themselves with the scribes, he said. Listen to this. He saved others. Himself he can't save. The Bible teaches that there was tens and thousands of angels excuse me waiting for the command of jesus i mean literally he could have snapped his fingers and imagine if one angel killed 185,000 assyrians back in the old testament what would thousands of angels do i mean jerusalem would have been toast but jesus went to the cross to give us life life eternal he had to go to the cross he saved others himself he cannot save Uh, Let the Christ now, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe, listen to that, that we may see and believe, even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Yet we know one of the two thieves accepts Christ's forgiveness. He says, remember me this day in paradise. And he did, but the other one died in his sins. This little phrase here. Do this miracle sign and wonder. We may see it. You come off the cross. That we may believe. How many today? Okay, my brother's witnessing to me. My sister's witnessing to me. Mom wants me to come to Christ. I need to see something. I need proof. I need a miracle. Jesus, if you're real, would you write on that wall? I mean, I want to see your hand. Why are we that way? When we read the scriptures, we witness the miracle signs and wonders. And if a hand did come out, it was midnight, you're asleep, and you're woken up by this hand, and he's writing, George, you need to get saved. You would faint. You would crawl under the bed. But would you come to Christ? Miracle signs and wonders don't save you. They're a witness of Christ's great love, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through you. In verse 33, Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So from 12 noon, listen, to approximately 3 p.m. Now, it's interesting, again, there are those that say, They go back to the sciences, and they can prove that at this time, there was a great eclipse. And there was great darkness. Now, it's interesting. Passover always happened in a full moon. And see, you can come up with all the theories, but the Bible says there was darkness. Back in Egypt, when darkness came, they couldn't see in front of them. Is that the kind of darkness they were speaking of? There was no lights in those days. They, that was part of the judgment. I don't know if you've ever been in a dark, dark cave. I have. And the lights are on in the, in the little boat we were taking. And then they shut them out. I couldn't see my friend next to me. I went like this. They told us, put your hand there. I go, I know I have a hand. I can't see it. It's, it's, it's irony to the mind. Now you know how Pastor Cliff operates. God is gracious. These people still didn't believe. And yet I want you to keep an eye on the centurion. What's going to happen to him. Notice. It was dark. From 12 noon. To 3 p.m. Verse 34. And at the ninth hour. Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying. Eloi, Eloi, lama shabbatani. Which is translated, and this is a direct quote from Psalm 22 in verse 1. Again, a messianic cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I want you to see the picture. All the sins of mankind, past, present, and future. My sins were there, so were yours. The Father, in all holiness and all righteousness, could not look upon His own Son. Because of all the sins of mankind, He turns from the Son. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, some of those who stood by when they heard the cry, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabbatani, it says who stood by when they heard that, they said, look, he's calling upon Elijah. Speaking about Elijah the prophet. He cried out, come Elijah. Interesting, the Jews still today set a, a place setting and they're waiting for Elijah. My Bible says in Revelation chapter 11, there's going to be two witnesses, and one of them is named Elijah. The other one, uh, there's a big toss-up. There are those that say Enoch. There are those that say uh, Moses. I don't know, but I know one of them is Elijah. And so Elijah will be coming back. And his second coming of Jesus, interesting. But anything to do the mockery of it all, Then in verse 36, someone uh, ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, that is, and and put it on a reed, stuck it, and then offered it to Jesus to drink and saying, Let him alone. Let us see Elijah will come to take him down. Again, they're still mocking him, suffering greatly. Uh, The Bible says in Psalm 22 that his tongue stuck to the roof of his mouth because he was so parched. He was so thirsty. And, and, you know, we're here in the Southwest, and if you're out doing work, maybe you're going for a jog or, or a walk, whatever it is, and, and if the weather's up and you don't have water, and it's not much time, and then you're parched and you're dry, and you feel like you got cotton in your mouth, and you have to do something about it, imagine what Jesus went through. Imagine what Jesus went through. Now, I want you to see this now, verse 37. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and he breathed his last breath. And I want you to remember this. Please don't forget it. Your last breath on earth is going to be your next breath in heaven. We fear death, but is it because we don't know Christ? We just, this week, a pilot took down the plane. Locked out the other pilot and he took it right into the mountains. And they've located the black box. It was calm as a cucumber, as they say. And everybody's trying to find out what he did, why he did it. My question is those people had that said, they said about 15, 20 minutes maybe, they knew they were going to crash. It's time to repent. It's time to repent. Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm not happy that that many people died. I would not want wish that on any of my family or anybody I knew. What a grotesque way to die. But instantly. The Bible says to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Our last breath on earth is our first breath in heaven. I want you to write this song down. I've used it many times. Uh, when I do funeral services and such, uh, throughout the years, Psalm 116, verse 15. Listen to the psalmist. Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of His saints. Your life spent on earth doesn't go unnoticed by God. Doesn't go unnoticed. I've had the privilege, the honor, and then some people say, that's so hard. How did you do it? I buried my mom and dad, different time span. My dad was first, and my mom. I was there for my grandparents, their death, their burial. I've gone back to Southern California. Many of my family, friends, and loved ones, many families, aunts and uncles, dying. I like to speak to them about Christ. I've buried several of my own friends that have died of alcoholism, have died of drugs. One of my friends, actually, his heart blew up because uh, he took so many drugs, kept drinking, high blood pressure. It's death. And I had invited him to, to church many times. Not everybody receives. Yet my best friend had an aneurysm, and I was with him the last night. I happened to be there. That was God. And I happened to lead him to the, to the Lord. Next morning, he was dead. He was dead. But my heart rejoiced that he received Christ before he died. The cries are incredible. And again, people don't understand. This is temporal. This life is temporal. We're just passing through. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. This is not the finish point. 60, 70, 80, maybe 100 years. 90, I don't know. But one day you're going to have to stand before your maker. And if you know Christ, listen. What's eternity? What's eternity? You cannot describe eternity. Old scholars said years ago, I never forgot it. You take 10, 20,000 Granite rock, and you see this little sparrow. He comes every morning and he sharpens his beak on the sparrow. Uh, When that bird gets rid of that granite rock, that's eternity. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's a granite rock, it's a little sparrow. He's going to be beakless in about five years, come on. But the idea, the idea, eternity eternity. Eternity. And that's the promise that we have. Notice now, it's not over. These guys don't quit. In verse 38, then the veil of the temple was torn in two. And this is very significant from the top to the bottom. Uh, We know that the Holy of Holies had this curtain. You go back to Exodus and it was 15 by 15 square. It was about a cubit thick from the index finger to your elbow, uh, they interwoven meshed iron, steel, with gold. And the significance of the Torah from the top to the bottom, God says, I'm tearing this down. You don't need a high priest no more. You don't need to go into the day of atonement. It's done. Christ is the Lamb of God. Historically, we're told... That it took several priests to pull back the curtain, to allow the high priest to go in and minister on the Day of Atonement. But when this thing tore down from the top to the bottom, it was very significant. They put it back up, they sewed it back up somehow, some way. They wanted to keep the tradition. 70 AD, God levels it all and takes it all down. It's crazy when you think about it. Notice now verse 39, so when the centurion, remember I asked you to remember, somebody is watching, somebody is listening, somebody, the spirit of the Lord is pricking their heart. When the centurion who stopped uh, opposite him or stood opposite him uh, saw that he cried out like this and he breathed his last breath, listened to his testimony and he said, truly this is the son of God who revealed this to the The centurion, but the Holy Spirit. Others say, let him come down off of that cross. But now this historian, or the centurion, excuse me. I believe he came to Christ. I believe he came to Christ. Now... I love this, and we're going to see more of this next week. Uh, there were also women looking on from afar. Uh, among were Mary Magdalene. She was from the city of Magdala. Mary, the mother of James the last, and of Joseph and Salome. We'll see that Mary of Magdala, the, Mary Magdalene, was the first one to see Jesus, the risen Christ. She's the woman that Jesus cast out seven demons. Who also followed him, they ministered, these are the women, ministered to him, and when he was in the Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. There was an entourage of of women that were part of the the discipleship, and they were there for the cooking, the cleaning, because the guys didn't know how to do that. And so imagine the women did this. But it's interesting to me, the men were the leaders. We're going to see next week, they were hiding behind closed doors. Mary Magdalene and the others went to dress the body. Where have you laid him? We'll see that next week. The conclusion now, The verse 42 to verse 47. Now when the evening, evening had come, because it was uh, the preparation of the day, uh, getting ready for the Sabbath, which was the Passover, Passover. Uh, Jewish law, you had to remove the body. So Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, he belonged to the Sanhedrin, who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God. I like that. There were some in the Sanhedrin that were waiting for the kingdom of God. Not everybody was lost, coming and taking courage now. This man stepped out by faith. He went up to Pilate and he asked for the body of Jesus. I think a lot of guts. He could have been in a lot of trouble. But remember, God had already spoken to Pilate. His heart is softened. And so, in verse 44, Pilate marveled at this man's courage, at this man's faith that he was already dead. He also marveled that Jesus was dead. He didn't know. This is what the scriptures are saying. Summoning the centurion and asked him now. If he had been dead for some time. He wanted proof. So when he found out from the centurion. He granted the body to Joseph. God went before Joseph. Of Arimathea. And his faith. In verse 43. He had courage. Then he brought. They bought fine linen. uh, Took Jesus down. Wrapped him in linen cloths. And laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock, rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. Now, today, when you go to the tomb, you go, it's called Gordon's Tomb. And we go to this area. It's very beautiful. It's the garden tomb area. And off to the corner... Uh, there's a beautiful section. They say that that's the the tomb of Jesus. It's the tomb of uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Interesting. You walk up to it and you see the chisel marks. The chisel marks. And then you see a track where this stone would have rolled in and rolled out. We don't know where that stone is today. And rightfully so because people would chip it off and and get a, you know, a historical piece, But we've always walked into that beautiful setting. And I've often shared this. The Gospel of John says before you go into the tomb, you have to stoop down. And so I have to stoop down. Most of the people stoop down. Our mother-in-law went with us one time. And she's five foot nothing. I've shared this before. And I'm watching her. She had to stoop down. And so is this the tomb of Jesus? I know it grabs your heart, I don't know, but it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. They bought the linen cloths. They wrapped him. The stones put in place. Look at verse 47. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where they laid him. Next week they're going to come. Or next for next Sunday they come. And he's been in the grave for three days. But he's risen again. That's what we celebrate. Jesus rose again from the dead to give us life. Life eternal. Now if you ever get a chance, there's a beautiful book. It's written by Sir Robert Anderson. He was formerly of Scotland. He was of Scotland Yard. He was a great investigator. Retired. Loved the Lord. And he writes this book, of The Coming Prince. And he says the Sunday of the resurrection took place on April the 6th, 32 AD. Now, I look at that. I love to study of the book. But what if he's off a year, plus or minus? It really doesn't matter. We know that the triumphal entry had to take place, according to Zechariah, 500 years before it was prophesied. And we know that Jesus had to die on the cross according to uh, Isaiah 53. And so, (laughs) it's beautiful when you see the scriptures. Let the scriptures speak to you. I I love Sir Robert Anderson's book, but I go by the scriptures. I love my commentaries, but I go by the scriptures. And it's tough when you have John and Mark giving you two different time sets let god figure that out i'm going to throw it all out because of one verse most likely was a the copyist there but that's how people like anything you're looking for a loophole because in all reality you don't want to receive christ that's it you come up with every excuse and so today as we end please don't leave here without jesus pastor Cliff is going to be up here, and he's willing more than ever to pray to you, with you, that is, the sinner's prayer, simple sinner's prayer. If you're backslidden, you need to come up. And I'm going to have uh, Sharon coming up here for the ladies, and she'll pray for you too. Don't leave without prayer, if that's what you need. Praise God. Let's all stand. We'll end in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And your love and your mercy. And I thank you, Lord, for the word of God that will not come back void. And so, Father, speak to us in clarity. And, Lord, speak to us in that area if we need saving grace. And some of us might need to this morning. Those listening uh, to the CD later, those on the the radio or or those on live stream. You haven't come to Christ today is the day of your salvation. If you're here this morning and you haven't come to Christ today is the day of your salvation. Give your life to Jesus. And so, Father, I ask you to move upon the hearts that are represented here this morning. And Lord, I ask you to bless the offerings as you've given to us now. We give back a portion. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray, and we all agree by saying, Amen.